amazing. This might work if you turn it on. I didn't do that last week. Um, I put on the screen three pictures. Some of you are familiar with some of these devices. Some of you may be familiar with all three. A thermometer, a blood pressure cuff, and a blood sugar tester. All of them are very important because all of them are designed to see something we can't see. We can't see our blood pressure. We can't see our glucose level. Uh, we can't see our temperature. And yet those things that are inside us are very important. They are literally life-threatening. And because they're so important, we need something to get at them and see them. So that if there's something wrong there, we can find out and do something about it. Is there anything like that spiritually? Are there some things I could put up there in pictures that spiritually do the same thing? Because if you think about it, spiritually, what's on the inside is what's so important. What is the condition of our heart? What is the condition of our relationship with God? We don't some ways see that on the outside, but we need to know it. Because it's very important. It too can be, in a sense, life-threatening. So what pictures would we put up there for a spiritual checkup? Well, we saw last week that prayer is one of the things we would probably put up there. That for each of us as individual Christians, prayer matters. It is more than just a tradition, more than just a good habit, more than just one of those shoulds in life. That prayer is, in fact, the lifeblood of our relationship with God. It allows us to communicate directly, personally, individually with God ourselves. I don't have to go through a priest or a church leader. I can talk to God. And not just talk to God, but we talk to each other. I listen to Him. In that process, our relationship with God grows and develops so that we can really know him and also have a sense that he knows me. He understands what's going on in my life. And together, that deepens my tie with God. In the process, prayer changes us just by virtue of spending time talking with God. And of course, the most obvious thing we think of so often with prayer, it is through prayer that we access God's help. But my question for today is, if prayer is so important for us as an individual Christian, is it also important for us as a collective group of Christians, as a church body, a community of faith? Or is prayer something that a church just needs to teach? Is our job to make sure everybody who comes here learns how to pray? And if we do that, have we done our job? Or, or we should probably also pray at the right times. 
You know, you can't have a meeting at church if you don't pray to start the meeting. The meeting doesn't count. And as long as you have that prayer to start the meeting, we're good to go, and we can go on about our business. Or we can't have a potluck without praying. You know, that meal at church without a prayer, that has to happen. And yet, isn't it true that in doing so, in viewing prayer that way, there's the danger that we make it just a habit for the church, a checkbox. Are we doing our duty as a church and are, having, are we having prayer at the right times? And we're teaching people to pray. Is that all prayer means for the church? Or if that's all a church does with prayer, are we missing something? I said last week that prayer is very important for each of us individually as a Christian. Is it equally important for us as a church? As a gathered together group of believers? Well, to answer that question, I'd like us to do some Bible study this morning. I'd like us to look at see what does the, the, the church have to say about I'm sorry, what does the Bible have to say about the congregation coming together to pray? How did the early Christians pray? How important was it to them? Was it a priority in their churches? I'd like to real quickly look through the book of Acts. I've got a whole list there. The page number is for the first one. But what I want you to see is a pattern, and that's why I want us to look at more than one verse out of the book of Acts. We read in chapter 1, and, and remember, the book of Acts is really the history of the beginning of the church. So when the church was brand new, when Christians were just figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus, what they did in the book of Acts is the record of that. And so in the very first chapter, in verse 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. What were those early Christians doing? They were always getting together to pray. Not individually, but together. They were always getting together to pray. And then if you turn over to chapter 2, at the end of, verse, at the end of 2, verse 42, it sort of summarizes the priorities of those early Christians. And several things were listed. They, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to getting together, to the breaking of bread, and that's probably a double meaning because the first Christians took communion as a part of a meal together. And that's a whole fascinating study, but they would eat together and stop in the middle of that meal and have communion. And the fourth thing, prayer. Now, I want to go back to that first word, devoted, because it's interesting, and we're going to see it later in Acts. The word that's used there is devoted is, it literally can mean, if it's for a person, it means, I'm always going to stand beside you. I'm devoted to you. I will always be there for you. But if it's, if it's a word referred to a thing or an action, it means I keep returning to it. I, I may do other things, but I come back. I may do other things, but I come back. I keep returning to this. We might almost use the word obsessed. 
The early church was obsessed with the apostles' teaching, which is our New Testament, to getting together in fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They might go do other things, came back to prayer. Came back to getting together. Came back to the Word. Go over to 424. Peter and John have been arrested. Persecution is now breaking out against the Christians. And so the Christians have a double thing. They are celebrating Peter and John being released, but they are also realizing that they're facing real persecution. What did they do? They raised their voices together in prayer. And it happens again over in Acts 12. I have listed a few verses 1 through 12. I'm just going to pick out a couple verses. But here it's happened again. Herod, son of Herod the Great from Bethlehem times. His son, this Herod, is the one who's already beheaded John the Baptist. He has now beheaded James, as in James and John, the apostles. And now he's arrested Peter. And Herod's figured out that it makes him a real popular ruler if he kills Christians. So everything indicates that tomorrow Peter's going to be beheaded and he's in prison. And what do we read in the middle of this? The church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. They were together praying for Peter. Well then if you read down through the story, Peter is miraculously freed. I, I love the story. Peter's in, in, in shackles in a cell. The shackles fall off. Peter's sort of laying there. My translation. The angel kicks him and says, get up, you're free, let's go. The only thing I changed was kicked. It's like, come on, Peter, let's go. Now, he gets free. And notice by the end of it, he went to the house of John Mark where many people had gathered together and were praying. That was in the middle of the night. They were praying. One other from Acts I want to look at, and that is back to chapter 6, because this describes the priorities of the leaders of the church. Brothers, and there was some controversy in the first church. They're figuring out how to be a church. And there were poor people and money was being given for the poor people. And the, and the Grecian widows were not getting their fair share. And there was some conflict in the church. And the, and the apostles rightfully said, we need them to get their fair share. This needs to be taken care of. But we have higher priorities for us as the leaders. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention. It's the same word devoted from chapter 2. We will keep returning to prayer and the ministry of the word. We will be, as the leaders of the church, obsessed with praying and the ministry of the Word. Kept returning to that. Prayer wasn't just a tradition 
in those early Christians. It wasn't just something they did so they could start a meeting. It was at the core of what they saw themselves to be doing as a church. It was their first option. When they came together, they were praying. When they made decisions, they were praying. When they faced challenges, they were praying. Prayer was something they saw as essential. And it's not just the book of Acts. I want you to understand that. If you look at the Old Testament, I want to read two passages out of there. First of all, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 through 16. This is a verse we're familiar with. Songs have been written. It's used all the time. If my people will seek my face, I'll heal their land. But what I want you to see, this isn't meant to motivate individual Christians to go home and pray for their country. If you read the whole passage, it's coming together to pray for my country. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What is God asking them to do? Not to go home and pray for their nation. He's asking them to come together in his house and pray for their nation. And that as they come together in his house and pray for their nation, he will be especially attentive to those prayers offered together in his house. One other passage, and that's in Isaiah 56. God is promising what he will do. And he says, these, including the Gentiles, all people who love me, is basically what he's saying. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isn't that interesting? How does God want his house described? Not as beautiful, not as the biggest, the best, the most expensive. How does God want his house described as a house of prayer? A place where prayer is always happening. A place that's all about prayer because it's a house of prayer. And what about Jesus? Jesus gives us an amazing promise. If two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now that can be abused and we can ask Jesus for all kinds of things and he's just going to shake his head. Uh, it doesn't matter if five of us agree to win the lottery, he's not going to do it. That's not his point. But what his point is that if we come together, and not just individually, 
But if we come together and seek him and pray and ask him, we have a special influence with God. He will pay more attention. It will have a bigger impact on him if we are praying together and asking for that same thing. And he sees that and he knows that and he hears that. He will pay special attention. Obviously, the point I'm trying to make today is that it is very important for the church, this church, every church, to make it a priority that we come together and pray. It's how God wants it. He wants his place to be called a house of prayer, a place where prayer is always happening. It's what the church does. It's what the church has always done. It is throughout the book of Acts. Every time you turn around, they're praying. And it is not just a coincidence that the church was having its biggest impact on the world when it was always praying. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of no buildings, no budgets, no resources, it shook the world because they were always praying. And we see the same thing today in third world countries where the church has nothing but prayer, they're always praying, and the church is flourishing and spreading way faster than it is in the United States. Because the Christians are always getting together to pray. Uh, several years ago, I told you the story of the Christians in Indonesia today. Indonesia is a, the most Muslim country in the world. And there are persecutions of Christians all the time. And yet the church is spreading like crazy in Indonesia. That's part of why it is being persecuted. Because the church is spreading so fast. And you start scratching below the surface to say, why is this happening? How can this be happening? There are at least 50 houses of prayer in Indonesia. And what I mean by that is there are 50 physical locations where 24-7, 365 days a year, there are Christians meeting to pray for their nation. And that the gospel, Jesus, would penetrate this Muslim nation. Is it any wonder the church in Indonesia is spreading despite persecution in the most Muslim country of the world? They're praying. And they're praying all the time. Praying together has so many benefits for the church, for us as we come together to pray. Can I share some of those benefits with you? As we come together to pray, as compared to just praying by ourselves, we come to understand God better and more fully. Because one of the things that happens is, as I hear you pray, and you hear me pray, and we hear others pray, we learn about God. As they talk with him, how they understand him, what they're asking of him, what they're saying to him, 
our own understanding of God is richer and deeper as we hear and pray together who he is, how he works. Second of all, we grow closer together. One of the criticisms of the church is it's so impersonal. People just come in and they leave and we don't get to know each other. One of the best ways we can get to know each other is praying together. Because it is in prayer that I find out what's really going on in your life. And I can pray for you and I can understand what's happening with you. And our relationships, our understanding of each other only deepens as we pray together. It helps us hear God's leading. I can pray and say, what does God want me to do? And you can pray for that. What does he want our church to do? And we can each go home and individually pray about that. But one of the most powerful things we can do is come together and pray for God's leading. And if we're really seeking that, one of the amazing things that happens is you're hearing something and I'm hearing something. And together, that leading of God is confirmed. And we understand God's leading and we agree about it and we find unity because we are praying together for God's direction and leading. I think most importantly, our prayers have more power. Jesus promised that in Matthew 18. If we come together and ask in agreement, we have more influence with God. And the last benefit I want to mention is that prayer is one of the key ways that we keep Jesus in charge of the church. Because here's the trap, and it's true especially where churches are comfortable and have affluence and have a lot of resources and power of their own. One of the dangers the church must always recognize is that we start doing church on our own for God. It's our church. It's not his church. Now, we would say it's always his church. But yet we can go about and do our planning and we can do our campaigns and we can do this and do that and do that and we can do it all on our own. And yet we all know the scripture that says unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. What is the single greatest way to make sure the church is always following Jesus and doing it in his power? Prayer. You just, you want that thermometer? Go measure how much a church prays, and I'll tell you how much that church is relying on God's power. And you show me a church that has a brief prayer to start a meeting, and the rest of the meeting is about human ideas and how we're going to do it, and I'll show you a church that's building in its own power. And yet we know that that kind of building is a waste of time. Only what God builds matters and will last. And that's why prayer is such an important thermometer for a church and how to make sure that church is depending on God and following God. That's what happens when we pray. Now there's another benefit for each of us as individuals. 
I entitled it, Why Together is So Important for Each of Us. Because if you'll come to help and pray together, one, you will learn to pray better. I understand how intimidating it is to pray together. If I want to list ten events and put them on the calendar and schedule, whatever one says group prayer will have the smallest attendance, guaranteed. Well, no. Going out calling evangelism door-to-door, that would have the smallest attendance. The second smallest would be group prayer. Now, some of that is we need to learn about what it is to pray together, and that's coming. But what I want you to understand is even though it may push you out of your comfort zone, one of the things that happens when we do come together to pray is I learn how to pray better. As I hear others pray, how they say things, what they're willing to say to God, opens my mind and my eyes up to, oh, you can pray that way? I remember the first time I heard somebody pray in this just very casual, relaxed way with God, just like he was right next to him. And I had been raised with sort of the King James, very formal Sunday church kind of stiff. And I thought, you can talk to God that way? And then it was like, wow, that's cool. I want to talk to God that way. You learn by hearing others pray. New words, new ways. And you're drawn closer to God, not just by your own prayers, but as you're hearing others, they take you with them. And you too feel closer to God in just how they're talking to God. And you start to realize He really is right here. And and we can talk to Him and He's right there. and, And it's not just in those group times because once you've learned that you can be close to God like that, you go home and in your living room by yourself, you realize I can be close to Him here. And how you pray and your closeness to God changes in all places. And we each receive a blessing when we pray together. We're blessed as we share with others. It's it's that old Swedish proverb I mentioned a few weeks ago. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. But do you realize there's no place that comes true more than in praying together? As we pray together, God, thank you for how you helped my husband find a job. God, thank you for how you sealed my son and he's out of the hospital. You share that joy and we're all blessed by it as we pray together. And as we pray together with our sorrows, we share those sorrows as we pray together. And we are blessed because that sorrow is lighter as I pray for that sorrow and three or four people around me join in praying for that sorrow. And I leave that room with the same circumstances, but that sorrow is less heavy on my heart because a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And all of that happens as we pray together. So how do we do this? How do we make sure that Andover Christian Church is a house of prayer? Probably two or three years ago, we had a prayer seminar led by David Butts. Those of us who came, he gave that scripture that I read from Isaiah that God wants his house 
called a house of prayer. And a number of us who were there were convicted by that scripture that we need to make sure Andover Christian Church is a house of prayer. We want it to be a place where prayer is happening. That remains my conviction. And I know a number of you feel the same way. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that prayer is a priority here? Well, I think part of it is we need to want to be a house of prayer. We want it central here. We want it a focus. We want it a priority. That we feel good about having a prayer room and, and we feel good about three minutes at the end of each service where people are invited to pray. I, Paul Peoples keeps bugging me because there's a church he was at before they moved here and he said, you turn around, you saw people praying. If somebody was talking about a problem in their life, they'd just stop and you'd see three or four people praying. Do we, I'd love to see that. Do you want to see that? That's saying we want this to be a house of prayer. We want to see people stopping in the cafe while they're eating their donuts because somebody's just shared something. Let's pray for that for a second. And we pray. And others looking at that don't react and say, oh, what's up with them? Instead, we look and say, awesome. Awesome. They're praying. God is being lifted up, and we're a house of prayer. It is that core value that says we want prayer to be central here. We want this church to be led by Jesus. We want our meetings to have prayer at the core of those meetings, not just bookends. Because we want Jesus leading and God's power doing this, not us. And we build prayer into meetings. We learn how to pray together. And when we have times of prayer together, we don't run from it, we run to it. And that's part of what I want to call you to as a church today. We need to learn how to pray together as a church. We've learned some lessons. We're on that journey, and some good beginnings have been made. But we need to go further. We need to learn how to pray together, and it's more than just each taking our turn for individual prayers. I have... I. I know some of you, all you've ever experienced for group prayer is everybody takes their turn and has an individual prayer. But if you've ever experienced where people come together and they together talk to God and listen to God, it is so much more powerful than that. And it's not something weird. It's having a conversation. It's the halftime huddle that says, how are we doing? And what are we going to do about this? And that was awesome in the first half. Now let's go back out. That's coming together to talk with God. And it is something amazing to be a part of. And I want us to learn to do that. So that it starts showing up in meetings and groups and whatever. But we need to learn how to do that. 
we're scheduling every month a Wednesday night when we come together for prayer. Our next one is February 10th. It's not the first Wednesday because February 10th is Ash Wednesday. I want to invite you to come. I've talked to Carrie, and we're going to do two things. We're going to do some teaching about how do you come together and pray as a group, and then we're going to do it. We're going to try to learn. No. We're going to start learning how to pray together as a group. And the power that we can experience. And I know every instinct of yours is going to be to say, uh, I think I'm busy. I want you to fight that. And I want you to risk and come out of your comfort zone and come here to pray together on February 10th. Not because of one event. I want us as a church to move further in our journey of learning how to pray together. Because there is so much for us and for God's kingdom as we learn how to come like the early Christians in Acts who were constantly praying. I want us to become like them. Because what we will experience of God's life and God's power in this church and individually is beyond description if we will seek Him and we will become a house of prayer. I hope you'll come February 10th. We pray every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. You can come to that and join us as we pray for this service and pray what God is going to do. One Sunday a month, we walk through the building and pray for all the areas where people are going to minister before church. You can come and walk and pray for the ministry that's going to happen. You can join the prayer room after the service anytime just to pray. And you can stop anywhere in the hall, a table, up here, anywhere. Say, let's just pray. We can all do that. Let's grow in prayer as a church in 2016. God, I know you love prayer. Because it's when we stop and talk to you and thank you and glorify you and listen to you. And that's important for each of us as individual Christians, but it's sure important for us as your church. I ask you to help Andover Christian Church grow in prayer. I ask you to work and move that this would become a house of prayer where people are always praying. In your son's name, amen.